Hello, everybody. Welcome back into the Quacked Out podcast. Um, unlike usual, this is Reed talking. Uh, Charlie is not with us today, but instead we have a very special guest from across enemy lines, uh, Carlos, aka Equity Brune on Twitter, aka Cat Troll. Um, how's it going, Carlos? Ah, it's going all right. Nervous times this game. I'm sure uh, I'm not sure how y'all are feeling about it, but uh I don't know. Feels like a big game for UCLA at least. Yeah, it's it's definitely a big game for Oregon as well. Um I think we've had this circled for a while since UCLA and Oregon really ripped off the only two impressive kind of Pac-12 non-conference performances of the season it seems like. Um and both teams have I think it's fair to say struggled a bit since those wins. Um, but now, you know, this game got game day. Uh, it's a very close point spread UCLA favored by two. And so it's definitely a big game. Yeah. I mean, uh, I, it was interesting. The spread opened at three Oregon minus three and it jumped uh, over time to UCLA. Is it, did you say it's at two and a half UCLA minus two and a half? Yeah, I've seen UCLA minus two and UCLA minus two and a half, which is pretty, wow. that, that's five points of movement, which is pretty big. And it also tells you that the books were not comfortable with a lot of the money coming in on UCLA's side. It seems like uh, they wanted to protect themselves, which shows that, you know, they think UCLA is a legitimate threat. And and I tend to agree with that. Um, first off, you know, UCLA has had some ups and downs this season, as I said, Kind of just tell me a bit about what your perspective on this UCLA team is overall, uh, where you kind of think they fit into the picture nationally and in the conference. And then also just tell me a little bit about what this matchup means for the Bruins uh, and maybe where the fan base is at in terms of Chip Kelly and his future. Yeah, so I guess I'll start with uh, my perspective on this UCLA season. I think it's been... Um, it's been up and down. I think there's still a lot of question marks about what this particular team is capable of and what it can do and what it will do. Um, I'm still seeing people, you know, before the season started, if you were to ask people, fans, writers, uh, what they saw this UCLA team doing, you got uh, anything from five and seven, six and six to 10 and two um, at the most optimistic end. Um just knowing that it was a very uh, experienced team. And um, if you ask fans now, it's actually pretty close, like what UCLA is capable of. I think now that UCLA is at 5-2, and two, they have at least one guaranteed win on the schedule, which is Colorado. But I think uh, if you asked fans and pundits and, and analysts and writers and people who cover the team – I think you'll still get a range of anywhere from uh, this is a six and six, te- six and six team. They go one and five to close things out, or this is a ten and two team. They can, uh, and it's entirely possible for them to run the table and everything in between. So it's still unclear what UCLA. Uh, we know what UCLA is as a football team in terms of what they're good at. They're really good at running the ball. Uh, they're really good at, uh, or they're they're decent at. I won't say really good. I'll say they're pretty good at stopping the run um we know that their pass offense is up and down but mostly good we know that their secondary is horrific um so that's just in terms of the the perspective you know we know what this ucla team is but we don't know 
how bad some of these things are. Um, I think the Washington game was actually kind of interesting. Uh, talked about this on our Pac-12 podcast, No Truck Stops. Um, you know, our secondary. Yeah, no, I appreciate it. Um, it's it's it was interesting. I was very curious to see if Dylan Morris was going to be able to take advantage of UCLA secondary, and he didn't. Uh, which told me that maybe Dylan Morris and that offensive scheme is uh, much worse than we had thought, but it also tells me that maybe UCLA secondary isn't as bad as we uh, we think it could be, although I still think it's not great. Um, so, yeah, that's just the uh, – I know you asked a bunch of questions, but just in terms of, like, the perspective on what UCLA is um, and what they're going to be from here on out, I think it's still, it's still wildly up in there despite the fact that we're seven games in now. Yeah, it's kind of funny that that seems like a trend across this conference and obviously something that you guys discuss on no truck stops a lot. It's tough to figure out whether any of the teams in the Pac-12 are good. Um, And it seems like everyone has had a performance that has kind of uh, bolted them into the top tier of the conference or even the national discussion with Arizona State versus you guys. And then Utah beats up on Arizona State. Obviously, Oregon had their big win at Ohio State, but they have looked uh, pretty mediocre since then. Um, So, yeah, I I think it's it's tough to figure out anyone. And it's interesting that now the national attention is coming so heavily on this game. And I think both fan bases still feel pretty shaky about what result or product they're going to see on the field Saturday. Um, kind of zooming in on, on more of the specifics of this matchup for a second. Um, obviously for UCLA, kind of the star of their team is DTR Dorian Thompson Robinson. Um, he's a super highly rated player out of high school and now a four year starter for them. Uh, he was rated in the top 40, I believe coming out of high school. Um, but he's an interesting player because, you know, he's, very up and down sometimes you see his elite potential come through uh and sometimes he puts the Bruins in a bit of a tough spot what's your perspective on on just the dtr experience as a fan um and how confident do you feel in his ability to lead them into a big matchup like this yeah so i will say for all of dtr struggles and what we've seen this year um he has grown as a player I think that uh, what we saw in the first two years and what was made very, very visible in his first two years is um, the kinds of um, just baffling mistakes that he was making, you know, just wild fumbles that were uh, entirely unforced um, to sort of uh, when faced with pressure, sort of backpedaling about 10, 15 yards and taking a sack that was much, much bigger than it needed to be, um, taking chances when there was absolutely nothing there, you know, just baffling decisions. And I think a lot of that was born from his uh, inexperience at quarterback. I think he had played quarterback one year in high school uh, as a senior and uh, and then sort of got thrust into the, a, a bit of the UCLA job in his first year with uh, Wilton Spate out in 2018, 2019 took over the full reins and you know it was a it was a rough wash sometimes but he has not made those mistakes this year and I think people kind of he has that reputation of he's a guy who could fumble at any moment at any time um that's only happened I I can only think of two really baffling plays that he's made all year this year one was one of those patented like 
fumbles where you wonder about is his hand sweating is it too small what's going on only one of those and then the other was a uh was an illegal forward pass 15 yards past the line of scrimmage it was bizarre it was the most bizarre thing i've ever seen um but those are really his two only mistakes uh to this point and other than that i think some of the struggles that he's dealt with have been um downfield inaccuracy particularly the past couple of weeks i think he's been uh nursing an injury has not been a hundred percent uh something's going on with his throwing shoulder um and so i think that's readily a, that that feels apparent to a lot of folks um and i and i, I think i agree with that uh, but even before then you know his downfall the accuracy was kind of up and down one of the most interesting things about dtr i think is that he's a much different player between first halves of games and second halves of games uh if you just break down the splits, it's pretty stark what he's doing in the first half versus what he's doing in the second half. A little a little less so maybe in recent weeks, although that was certainly true in Arizona, uh, what, now a week and a half ago. So um, I think he's, I think he's, um, I think he is, ha- he still has a lot of potential. I think he still has a high ceiling. I think when he's good, he's really good. I think when he's good, he's, you know, uh, the best quarterback in the league um, pretty definitively. But it's not always consistent, right? In order to be the best quarterback in the league, you've got to have that sort of consistency where your where your uh, floors aren't sort of as low as it can be with him. I will say his decision making is much better. I think he is much better at um, tucking it and running it at the at the right times. Uh, you can tell that he knows when to do that and how to do that much much better. Um, so it's been cool seeing him grow. I still think there's plenty of people who are frustrated with him. Um, and I get why, um, you know, trying to make those downfield throws and not hitting them when he should, um, is, it can be hard to watch. It can be frustrating, but I think he's, I think overall he's good. I would say right now he is a top two or three quarterback in the PAC 12, which is kind of an indictment on the conference in terms of quarterback talent. Um, I don't think Dorian Thompson Robinson in other years and prior years is a top two or three quarterback in the conference. Maybe he's in top half. Um, but you know, I think uh, I, I think that he's gotten a lot of criticism this year, um, and it's been a bit unfair. I think he's been I think he's been totally fine. Yeah, that's interesting what you say about the quarterback talent in the conference as a whole. I think that's kind of been the story of the Pac-12's decline really over recent years. Because if you go back to you know 2013 and 14 when this conference was pushing to be, you know maybe the second best in the country. Um, It was kind of defined by some pretty good quarterbacks in the league. And now uh, this conference is, is really bare uh, of any good quarterback talent. Um, I mean, you have Tanner McKee at Stanford, I guess. And then you have, you know, thick boy and stick boy at Utah and Arizona (laughs) state um, and DTR. And that's about it for any quarterbacks I would, I would put in the, uh, you know, positive uh, game value, I guess, maybe Jaden Delora at Wazoo, I guess, as well. Um, and speaking of quarterbacks, obviously, you know, you are, you're famous for your saying uh, about watching teams outside of your own. So you're, you're familiar with the Oregon passing attack, which has been much maligned by, by Ducks fans. Um And I think it's a really interesting question. Maybe the most uh, indicative thing of this weekend's game will be whether Oregon is able to exploit UCLA's weakness in the secondary and finally break through with a passing attack of their own. 
um, because Oregon hasn't had any success with, with deep passing under Anthony Brown. Um, and unfortunately there isn't really a quarterback change that seems eminent for the ducks either. So they're kind of going with what they have. Um, and it's just going to be a question of which weakness is worse. Uh, do you, how bad is this UCLA secondary really? Do you believe, is it bad enough where Oregon will be able to have a passing attack against them? Or do you think Oregon's passing attack is so incompetent that they won't be able to have one? That's a tough question. I mean, I, uh, off the top of my head, uh, this is a lot like uh, how I was thinking about the Washington passing attack versus the UCLA secondary last week, knowing that Dylan Morris had a hard time making downfield throws or even just the offense was not scheming for that um, and not putting him in good positions to make those throws. Uh, as soon as the UCLA-Washington game ended and I was sort of uh, thinking about how UCLA secondary did not get as burned as it as it should have been, as it could have been, uh, Washington receivers certainly did beat UCLA's defensive backs, um, and, and UCLA's defensive back Cam Johnson was picked on uh, quite a bit in particular. Um, I sort of came away from that game thinking, I think, I think, and having watched the Cal-Oregon game, I think Anthony Brown might be a worse downfield thrower than Dylan Morris. Um, I think, uh, I think schematically, I think what Oregon is doing is not putting him in positions to make throws that he may not be able to make. Um, I think Oregon's offense to me, and I'm not sure, you know, you obviously look at, look at them much closer than I do. It looks like they're, uh, they're super limited by what Anthony, what they think Anthony Brown can and cannot do. Um, I think it's, it's, it's hard to see them. I, I rarely see Oregon stretching the field against anyone. Um, so I, I think my hunch is that UCLA secondary, while very bad, and I will note that UCLA is uh, dead last in the conference in passing yards for now the third year in a row under Chip Kelly. Um, despite that, having seen Dylan Morris not be able to take advantage of that makes me think that um, – uh, Anthony Brown and Oregon can't either. Uh, now Oregon has a better running game. Um, even with CJ Verdell out, Travis Dye, I thought looked really good. Um, I think, uh, you know, that young stable of running backs, uh, Cardwell, I think is, is, is one of their, one of their names. Uh, he looked really good in his very limited touches. So certainly they have a running game that I think can, um, spread things out a little bit and take advantage of UCLA secondary in a, in a very different kind of way. But UCLA secondary uh, and UCLA's defensive coaches now, I think, have gotten to the point where they realize that what they have and what they're working with is um, limiting what they're able to do. And so they're playing they're playing back and they're playing pretty soft um, for good reasons, because those defensive backs get beat pretty frequently. Um, so I, I, my hunch is just in terms of Oregon's passing attack versus UCLA's pass defense, <laughs> I might give the edge to UCLA's passing defense. It's uh, not great but it's it's actually bad i would go ahead and say it's bad but um yeah i just think anthony brown's not going to be able to take advantage of it uh really this is the week if you had you know i'm not sure what the oregon discourse is i know that oregon fans want to start ty thompson but if oregon if there was ever going to be an opportunity for oregon joe moorhead and mario cristobal to start ty thompson it should have been this week um with this secondary I think he might have been able to cook, um, but 
here we are. Yeah, I think that's interesting. Um, I definitely understand why you say that from a UCLA fan perspective and, and from the outside looking in. Um, for Oregon fans, I think we've looked past it at this point because the date we had circled was the Cal game um, because we had a bye week going into that. And then we were going to set up for the Cal game if we put them in and then have them ready for UCLA in a second start rather than a first start. And I think when we yeah. didn't see that change in the bye week, um, because, you know, we thought the Cal game wouldn't be as close as it was. We thought that would be an easy game to warm up with as well. Um, I think we've, you know, kind of dismissed that it's a, it's going to happen this year. Um, everyone who's in the know has basically said that Ty Thompson just isn't quite ready to go in there um, in terms of having just a full handle on the offense. Um being confident enough to execute and everything. So sadly, it, it just isn't quite an option yet for the Ducks, it seems like. Um, and so Anthony Brown is, is going to have to be that guy. Um, and I think there's some hope that he can gain back the form that he had at least in Columbus when the Ducks put together their best performance um, rather than the trouble that he had. Uh, especially against Stanford and Arizona. I think that an underrated thing about the Cal game was Anthony Brown actually played a bit better than he has uh, in the weeks previously. Now he still limited the offense a bunch, but the key for him was to avoid those mistakes that turned into turnovers against Stanford. Um, and just to, you know, even if it's just the five yard throws, check downs to running backs and tight ends, at least complete them. Uh, get He got one good touchdown ball into Jalen Red, uh, and he was also a pretty good threat with his legs. And hopefully if they piece those things together um, and, and they're able to have Travis Dye establish a run game, you know, maybe the Ducks get up into that into that high 20s, low 30s point total range. Uh, I think that's where they'll have to be to win this game probably. Um, but where, if you had to put a point total under on it or an over-under for this Ducks offense, where do you think that they'll land? Oh, that's, <laughs> uh, that's so hard. I think part of me thinks that um, despite uh, despite some of the passing game struggles that Oregon has a good enough rushing attack to maybe test UCLA's rushing defense and their linebackers, which has been which has been good statistically. I think it looks better than what it actually is, but I still think it's I, think, I still think it's good. I don't think it's great. But I, th I think it's good. Um, and uh, I, I, mostly, I like what Joe Moorhead does in calling run plays um, and and sort of the play design of those run plays. Um, so. But the other part of me thinks that uh, teams have not really run well on UCLA, and I keep discounting them. And um, you know, even against Arizona State, although you know, to be to be fair, Arizona State was not uh, uh, was smart enough to not care about running the ball when they could just let Jaden Daniels burn <laughs> burn UCLA secondary. Um, they limited Arizona State's running backs when they did carry the ball, um, which is impressive because those running backs are very good, and I think the the best in the conference. Um, so just thinking about the, it, I, this could, I would not be shocked if this game was 17, 14 or, you know, 45, 42. I think if, if I were to put a number on it, um, Oregon's, Oregon's 
talented enough, I think, to take advantage of it. If I'm going to put a number on him, I'm going to say Oregon gets about 27, 28, you know, between 27 and 30 points. Um, and UCLA, you know, whether UCLA wins this game, I think is going to depend on will they be able to score more than 27 or 30 points against uh, an Oregon defense that is struggling but still very talented um now the factor that we don't know about is uh, is it true that Oregon is um playing down to its competition and is pretty unmotivated and gets up for big games um it looked like that was true for Ohio State but you know part of me is so skeptical of that because we haven't seen a clean game from Oregon outside of the Ohio State game um so yeah, it's just it's a wildly unpredictable game for me. But I'll say to answer to answer your question, I think Oregon probably gets twenty seven thirty points. Yeah, I think I think that's a pretty fair estimate that I'm close to as well. Um, in terms of the big game comment, that has certainly become the narrative under Cristobal, and it's it's tough because there aren't that many data points to go off of ultimately but i will say you know from a fan perspective personally um under chris ball we've only had a handful of games that i've been really worried about um or at least that i've thought we should lose i mean in college football you always have to be worried and and we've struggled in a fair number of games that we shouldn't have been very close in but the ones that i really thought we should lose were the Ohio State one, obviously, USC in the conference championship last year was was definitely highlighted. The Utah game in 2019, uh, we were really scared of. Um, and, and Oregon won all of those. They also played really well in that Auburn game to open 2019. And, and if they hadn't kind of fell apart in the fourth quarter, they, they probably should have walked out of that game with a win uh, in my mind. So... That's a big storyline. I think also Oregon recruits uh, California so heavily, and we've seen them put up really good performances at USC under Cristobal in both 19 and 20. So I think that there's some optimism about the fact that going to LA um, means something to this Oregon team. Uh, And sometimes they put on their best performances when they're down there. so that's a factor I'm, I'm excited about. And obviously the biggest name for the Ducks coming out of the LA you know, region is Kayvon Thibodeau. I think he's the X factor in this game, really. Um, and the main reason why Oregon fans have optimism that their defense could take it to another level uh, because he's been absent from this team uh, except for a quarter versus Fresno State. Uh, a kind of a game he was settling in versus Stanford and then a really dominant second half he just played versus Cal. Um, how do you feel about the matchup for Kayvon Thibodeau against this UCLA offensive line? Uh, just go- looking over the recruiting rankings, it's a, it's a group mostly made up of three stars, and, and then they have one highly rated tackle, Sean Ryan, uh, a high four-star who I think is a three-year starter now. Um, but how do you feel about this, this UCLA offensive line, particularly in pass protection? I've been impressed with them. Um, I think I was, uh, uh, I think this is probably one area that, uh, you know, Chip Kelly's entire recruiting and roster management strategy, I think, and I think a lot of other people think, um, you know, just thinking about some channeling some of the UCLA beat writers and the people who cover the team. Um, 
in general, roster management has been a chore and a disaster under Chip Kelly. But I think offensive line, yeah, and I think uh, uh, I, I think the offensive line maybe might be one of those exceptions. Um, it, it's looked impressive this year. It's looked impressive in both uh, in the ground game and also in pass protection. Um, I have not had to see Dorian Thompson Robinson really get assaulted back there. I think Arizona, the Arizona State game, they were putting a lot more pressure on the offensive line, and certainly there were some breakdowns there. But in general, I felt like uh, UCLA's offensive line has looked consistently good. I have not felt like, uh, and if you, I think it's a testament to uh, you know uh, what Dorian Thompson Robinson's been doing. Maybe he's just playing very well and getting out of those situations. But my my eye test tells me that that offensive line is good. Um, I don't think it's elite. I don't think it's going to be able to push a ton of teams around. Um, I think they're doing um, Chip Kelly's uh, and uh, uh, you know his offensive line coach are doing a really nice job of putting those offensive linemen in good positions to succeed. Um, and they're out, I think they're outplaying what their recruiting rankings are generally as a unit. Now, I don't have like super fine grained insight into you know, how particular tackles and guards are looking at. I don't look at, you know, when you like watch other teams outside your own, that means you don't get to like pour over tape um, over, you know, uh, offensive line schemes. I'll read some stuff. But, um, you know, my sense with, uh, and then in relation to Kayvon Thibodeau, who's looked awesome when he's been in the game, uh, maybe with your, to your point, with the exception of the Fresno State game, um, I think that uh, it's going to be a good test for UCLA's offensive line. Um, I don't think they've had to play an edge defender quite anywhere near that level. I mean, I, I mean, Kayvon Thibodeau is the best edge rusher, maybe the best defensive player in the Pac-12, so obviously they haven't played anyone like him. Um, I am very curious to see how they neutralize him. Um, I don't think that UCLA is going to rely too much on Dorian Thompson-Robinson. They never really have this UCLA offense when it's good and when it does what it wants Darian Thompson Robinson is throwing the ball max 20 times in a game um, and dropping back 20 times in a game. I am very curious to see what Dorian Thompson Robinson does and how he responds when Kayvon Thibodeau is in his face. Um, I, I think, like I said before, one of the things I was really, I'm really impressed with uh, is Dorian Thompson Robinson's ability to, run away and find holes to to get away and uh um, um and maybe gain some yards out of some broken plays on the from the offensive line that does happen and maybe he's sort of masking some of those offensive line issues um so i'm curious to see how he does that how he handles that um i think that the offensive line will certainly be overmatched it's going to be interesting to see what they do um with Kayvon Thibodeau on the way that frankly espn talks about Kayvon Thibodeau i mean for a good reason, he's the best defensive player in the Pac-12. Don't get me wrong; I'm not saying that ESPN is, uh, you know, overrating him or anything like that. But given that uh, anytime he's on defense, there's a huge cave on Thibodeau watch. I'm sure we'll get to see some really close analysis in game around what UCLA's is and is not doing to neutralize him. So I'd be very curious to see how that um, how that plays out. But in general, I sort of I sort of think that UCLA will run the ball. Their best uh, the best. Um, the best way to game plan around Kayvon Thibodeau is to not give him a chance to wreak havoc in, in the past game 
to sort of make him try to you know defend the run and neutralize what he has to do on the edges um so yeah that's i i'm really excited i think it'll be an interesting matchup i'd love to you know i know that Kayvon thibodeau isn't you know he's not like a linebacker or anything like that but it'll be great for storylines and stuff to see what zach charbonnet looks like when he has to go head to head with um with Kayvon thibodeau so yeah i mean it'll be fun i'm very excited i'm super interested yeah i think i think that um Charbonnet definitely is is a big uh, kind of wrecking ball force for that UCLA offense. And really, you know, outside of Kayvon, the big weakness of this uh, Oregon defense is the second inside linebacker spot. I mean, you know, Pac-12 fans uh, have questioned Oregon's uh, amount of injuries uh, and adversity they've faced this season. Um, but I think that that second linebacker spot really is a unique position where Oregon has really ran out of serviceable bodies to go beside Justin Flo. And, and the Ducks fans listening to this will know what I'm talking about. But they're really left with a converted safety who's a true freshman, uh, a good, highly rated player uh, who was a 2021 recruit, but also a true freshman at linebacker and then a former walk on. Um, and so we saw Ohio state start to have some success in the second half of that game when they really just started sending Travion Henderson straight at, uh, Oregon's weakness there in the run defense. And what I'm most worried about, honestly, is that we'll see that replicated with Charbonnet on Saturday. Um, and he will, you know, just find that weakness in the ducks attack and pound it over and over again for, for six and seven yard gains. Um, because, you know, Charbonnet is an extremely talented player. Um, he was the fourth highest rated running back in his 2019 class, uh, went to Michigan, obviously came back to UCLA. Uh, and he's been really a, a workhorse for that offense so far this year. Um, 818 total yards and 6.4 yards per carry uh, is what I'm seeing on the season for him. And that's maybe the, you know, he, he has a case for the best back in the Pac-12 this year, I would say. Yeah, I think he, I think he, he certainly has a case. I would say I might put Rashad White uh, from Arizona State. I might put him ahead of Zach Charbonnet um, just because of what Rashad White is asked to do um, game in and game out. Uh, he 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 got banged up a little bit, I think, in the Utah game. So it'll be curious to see how that goes. And then BJ Baylor, I think, has also uh, added from Oregon State has looked really good. I might put him above above Zach Charbonnet. Um, and uh, you know, but that might be it, right? I think uh, those two are really great running backs, and Zach Charbonnet is also a really great running back, super physical. Um, tends has that tendency to make dudes bounce off of him. Um, you know, and try to, you know, just, it's just funny watching like, uh, you know, other power five, you know, even LSU players just completely bounce off of Zach Charbonnet and him get, uh, so many, so many yards after contact the way that he does. And to your point about, uh, Oregon's rushing defense and those linebackers, some teams have had their best running games against Oregon. And that's been a surprise considering how, how much talent y'all have in the general, um, you know, Cal, Cal got what 150 rushing yards last week. Stanford, I think, ran over for 100, and they that's a bad, that's a horrific running team. Um, Arizona, I think, had didn't they have like 
150, almost 200 yards rushing, I think. So it's going to be interesting. I mean, this is, uh, I'm not sure if you would say uh, off the top of my head, it looks like UCLA will be the best rushing team that Oregon will have played this year. Um, but I don't know. Uh, again, we don't know how much of this is, uh, like, is Oregon just going to suddenly go supernova because they're playing in a game big game that's what talent gets you right that sometimes your talent can just sort of sleepwalk through games if they're actually sleepwalking i tend to think that they're trying um and maybe something's just not clicking but if they happen to go supernova then it it won't it won't really matter i think uh ucla's offensive line while good and um uh you know well coached mostly uh, i think it's not uh it, it won't be a match for what Oregon's going to be able to do on the defensive line or even the adjustments that they're going to make. I totally get the personnel issues at linebacker and maybe that's going to be factoring in more than I thought it would. Um, but you know, that's sort of, that's, that's my take. We'll see. I'm just, this whole game is like, I have no, I have no clue what the hell is going to happen. Yeah. That's why I was so happy to have you on because it is really amazing how little I, I feel like I know about what we're going to see on the field Saturday from two teams that have already played um, six games or uh, UCLA might've already played seven, I think. Seven. Uh, yeah. Yeah. They don't have, they haven't had a buy yet, Th- but somehow it, it, it seems like this mass matchup is still kind of touted in mystery. Um, are there any other big players that, that you feel like need to be highlighted on the offensive or defensive side for UCLA that, that might make a big impact, uh, on this game that we didn't get to mention yet. Yeah, I think um, UCLA has its own edge rusher. Uh, nowhere near, <laughs> nowhere to be clear, nowhere near on uh, what what Kayvon Thibodeau is. But um, Mitchell Agude is going to be interesting to watch, particularly when Anthony Brown does have to step back. Mitchell Agude has been a solid um, edge defender although i will say over the past uh with the exception of the washington game the two games before that against arizona state and arizona ucla has not been able to get home um on the you know in the pass rush they just haven't been able to get a push and that's been really what's hurting their their defense a big part of how often their secondary does get burned is you've got some limited some limited talent in the defensive uh you know in, in terms of the defensive backs and then UCLA is just not getting home in the pass rush so it'll be interesting to see if uh Mitchell Agude gets some um gets some pass rush it looks like UCLA's uh pass rush has you know has gotten a bit figured out and schemed around over the past you know in the first two three weeks i think it was really hard for teams to figure out and teams have figured it out so it'll be i'll be curious to see what what adjustments they make to try to throw oregon off um on the offensive end i'm not sure whether kyle phillips the uh you know ucla star wide receiver i'm not sure what's going on with him he i think people found out i mean ucla like a lot of other places not transparent about injuries at all so i'd be curious to see if he plays this game uh he did not travel i think it this week like everyone found this out all the beat writers and and the people who were responsible for covering the team found out that kyle phillips didn't even travel um to seattle to play washington last week um don't know what's going on with him so we'll see if if um you know if it's an injury or if it was covid protocols or what was going on there um, that'll be interesting to see if he actually plays Britton Brown, who backs up, uh, Zig- well, they, 
Britton Brown might actually get more carries than Zach Charbonnet does. He'll be another, he's another, he's, yeah, he, um, he's actually, uh, last time I checked, he was number five in rush yards per game in the conference. So, uh, Zach Charbonnet gets a lot of attention because he's the more explosive. I think he's the better back, but Britton Brown sort of does a lot of the, you know, a kid does carry a huge load. Um, and he's, a, he's actually very similar to Zach Charbonnet in that he's a very physical running back rather than someone who you try to catch in space. Um, I'd be curious to see how, uh, UCLA uses Casimir Allen. He was a running back, um, super fast guy. And then they converted him to sort of a slot receiver and gadget player, kind of putting him all over the place. Um, and in the secondary, I'm, I, I, I think all eyes again will be on Cam Johnson given how much Washington picked on him. Um, we'll see how he does. Quantrez Knight is also a great player. I'm not sure what his, he might've been banged up. I don't know. I don't really, I haven't really been following the injury reports and it's not like they're super clear to begin with. Um, but he's an, I think he is often cited as the player who is a glue guy, someone who, um, you know, I think brings a lot of energy to the defensive unit, uh, to the secondary and, and is sort of responsible for, and also is, is, is a mess in the run game. And, uh, you know, if he needs to blitz once in a while, they'll send him off in a blitz and it'll be, um, you know, and, and he, he can get home. So, yeah, I mean, there's a, there's a, a range of players, but I, I just, um, you know, who know the extent to which they'll be effective against this Oregon team against maybe these, uh, I guess by just pure recruiting, you know, team talent composite, whatever the second most talented team they'll play on their schedule. But certainly I think as we would all agree as bad as Oregon is, I don't, I think that we'd all say they're better than LSU. Um, so, so yeah, those are just some players off the top of my head that I'm kind of, you know, I'll be, I'll be having my eye on. Yeah. I'm really glad that you mentioned, um, Mitchell Agude, uh, and, and also potentially Quantrez Knight coming in, in a blitz, as you said, because honestly, I think that's been one of the most, you know, under discussed weaknesses of this Oregon team is that th- their tackles have really struggled in pass protection. Um, and that issue has been highlighted over the past two weeks, um, since their starting fifth-year center veteran Alex Forsythe has been out, um, kind of who is is a bit of the quarterback of that offensive line and, and calls out blitzes and all of that. Um, and so I, I think that that is a potential area where UCLA could cause some problems for this Oregon offense. Um, and so I think that's definitely was, was an important thing to mention. Um, Otherwise, I think we're we're pretty much uh, wrapped up with most of the stuff I want to touch on. Um, do you have a score prediction or any type of prediction that you want to give to this game? Or do you feel like uh, you'd rather just hold off on that? And then also tell the people a little bit about what's going on at, at no truck stops and uh, anything else you want to plug. I'll, I'll say myself that that's my favorite Pac-12 podcast out there. Um, for people looking to get more of a conference-wide perspective. And I, I especially love that you guys, your, all your bits um, really just show, you know, the authentic nature of this conference with the bad vibes game uh, and the sickos game. It, it's all very Pac-12, and that's what I love about it. Yeah, thanks. I appreciate that. Uh, it's a fun time. Score prediction. I guess, I guess I'll give you my score prediction first here. Um, uh, I'm going to say just off the top of my head, I'll say 
uh, UCLA is, has the matchup advantage. I think there's a there's a very good scenario here. I think it's very likely that UCLA wins, but Oregon is the maybe not the better team today, but just overall. But the matchups make it kind of weird. Um, so I'm gonna say UCLA 31, Oregon 28. Um, promise I'm not being a homer here. I'd always I will always uh, be happy to pick pick against UCLA. I uh, I hate UCLA as a UCLA fan. Can't stand them. Can't stand them. Uh, there's no one on this planet that hates UCLA more than I do. Um, but I, I think they should they should win this game um, just in terms of the matchups. Um, and yeah, to your point about no truck stops, just a bunch of buddies, you know, I mean, you know them. We're in a Pac-12 uh, Twitter group chat in that place. Uh, <laughs> it's, a, it's a weird, it's a weird um, group chat. A couple buddies from there and I decided to get on a podcast and talk about the Pac-12. It really came from like the Pac-12s, uh, uh, the Pac-12 team's March Madness runs. Um, Oregon State, Oregon, USC, UCLA, Colorado, all of those teams outperforming what I think everyone was expecting of them. Um, and we were just having a lot of fun. Like we were really enjoying just getting on Twitter and, you know, every week someone would do that. Like, uh, you know, what they will do on Twitter, what like people covering March Madness will do on Twitter is, you know, after every round, they'll reseed, they'll reseed the tournament teams. So like, you know, one through 64, originally how they came in after the round of 32, they're like, all right, here's how they're reseeded based on how good they are. Um, and every, after every round, the Pac-12 teams were at the bottom. It was driving me nuts. It was driving all of us nuts. It would be like the round of 32, one through 32 would be Colorado, UCLA, Oregon, USC, Arizona, uh, uh, not Arizona State, uh, Oregon State, all at the bottom. And it happened with the 16. And then when, you know, I think Oregon, USC, and UCLA got into the Elite Eight, it's like, certainly they won't this time, right? And then, of course, all three of them were at the bottom. And so it was just it was extremely funny to see that we just had a lot of fun with it after a while we were like hey that was fun uh does anyone you know i really want to i think i said in our pack 12 twitter group chat does anyone want to does anyone have like a pack 12 podcast recommendation for like hoops because i don't i haven't i haven't been able to find one um and they're like you should start one i'm like i'm not i'm not starting one i would never i would never do that <laughs> so then i did it um i did it with a couple of buddies i was like i wouldn't do it without them um so yeah it's it's a fun time. We have a lot of fun. The conference is stupid. Uh, the conference is just like makes absolutely no sense. Hasn't for years. The last time it made any sense was what 2016 when Washington actually went to the playoff. Um, and even then, <laughs> we had some weird shit happen in that season. So um, it's fun. I mean, I, even if even when the Pac-12 is bad. In fact, maybe when the Pac-12 is very bad, is it more fun? I don't know. We'll see. I haven't. It's been a long long time since the Pac-12 has had an elite team. Um, we'll have them for basketball, though. We'll start covering basketball. We started covering basketball, actually, this week. Um, so we'll talk a lot more hoops in the weeks to come. Uh, it'll be fun. Awesome. Um, well, I think that pretty much wraps us up. Thank you again for coming on, Carlos. Uh, go check out No Truck Stops, of course. And, yeah, thanks for listening, everybody. Go Ducks.